It's good to be in church together. Come on, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you're speaking to every heart. And I pray that this morning that you would encourage us, Lord God. You would challenge us and help us to rise up and become all that you're calling us to be. Lord, I pray as we look at this topic of money this morning, Lord God, and particularly money's test, that Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd help us to have a biblical perspective of money and how to use our finances in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, you can take a seat this morning. Fantastic. I've got Alan Douglas and I've got Ali Campbell. Come on forward, guys. Joining us this morning on a panel, and we're going to talk about money this morning and money's test. And who would have thought the church would be packed in the middle of a series on money? It's fantastic, isn't it? I love that we've all been able to lean into this topic and so much incredible feedback about how this has really practically helped people and families when it comes to money. And I think sex and money are two topics I just think it's great to talk about at church. And we often don't talk about those topics, but I think they're really important topics to to talk about. And so this morning, we're going to continue the series. Thanks, Sam. And we're going to talk specifically about money's test this morning. Now, I've got, as I've said already, I've got Ali Campbell and Alan Douglas with me here on the panel. Alan Douglas was, uh, for many years, the business manager here at the church. He's run his own business and he works in sales. Um, Ali Campbell, she obviously works here at church and uh, her and Tim, husband Tim, have uh, acquired property and uh, done renovations and different things that have done that. Ali herself has managed um, in retail before and has an understanding about money. And both of these people said to me when I asked them to be on the panel, no, I'm not the person to be on the panel. Because I actually struggle with when it comes to trying to be somebody that has a flow of generosity in my life. I actually am more the saver. I'm more the person that's trying to steward the money and make sure that we're, we're looking after it and we're stretching it the most. And I thought, you guys are exactly the people that we want to be on this panel. We don't want to just get the people up here that are just finding generosity so easy that it just flows out of their life. Like most of us, giving and being generous in our life is a challenge. And I thought it would be great to get some real people up here this morning that do find it challenging and have talked about how it's been challenging, particularly in their lives as well. And so I'm going to ask you a few questions this morning and and talk a little bit about that. Just on a side note before I do, next Sunday, we will announce how much we have received in the Strengthening Home offering. And I will also announce to you how much has been given to missions in the last 12-month period since we launched the missions program as well. And both of those, let me tell you, are going to be very, very exciting. So you don't want to miss that next Sunday as well. But let's talk about living generously and money's test this morning. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever found it hard to put God first in your finances? Um, Yes. (laughs) So um, because of certain circumstances growing up, I grew up with a really warped view of money. Um, I saw money as destructive, destructive of families, destructive of relationships. Um, And I also viewed the amount of money that you have um, impacted your happiness level. That's what I thought. So, um, yeah, so me, with my journey with tithing, um, I thought as a young teenager when I first started work, working, how can God, why, why would God need what I have? Like, 
he's so big. How, why would he need the little that I have? But I have learnt, I'm thinking about it wrong because it's not me giving what I have, it's giving God back what is already his. So, yeah. That's good. Yeah, I think for, and I speak for Deb as well, because as a married couple, we've been married for over 40 years, so decisions financially, they're actually a joint thing. It's not something that I just go home to Debbie and say, hey, um, I've made this mega decision, I'm buying myself a brand new car, and you get, you get the old one. So, so when I talk about my, with Debbie, with God, it's, it's a relationship. But, you know, we've, we've struggled for years and years and years and years and years with the whole idea of tithing. I, I grew up with parents who tithed. Um, grew their own veggies, all that sort of stuff. They, they were, <laughs> mum was the budgeter of budgeters. Um, but that didn't sort of rub off on me. And I've known, as all the years I've been a Christian, as a biblical principle, tithing is a good thing. But something always got in the way of it. Um, you know, an electricity bill got in the way of it. A car payment got in the way of it. You know, a broken down car got in the way of it. So... I was never, I've never, I am now, I'll rephrase that. We, we are now. We weren't always consistent tithers. Um, yeah, so it was something that we struggled with. And, and anyone who, who has a little bit of sin in their life would know that um, even when you're going well, Satan will have a crack at what he knows you're weak at. And so for us, um, tithing is that area, even now, where Satan will still have a crack. He doesn't win, but he doesn't give up either. So, Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I think money is one of those things that whether you've got a lot or you've got a little, it's always going to be a barrier and a challenge to make sure that we uh, use it for God's glory and find a way to be generous. And uh, both of them can be challenging. And, and like people have, have said to me, more money, more problems. And that can be the case, but it can be the same with little. And so it's learning that it's not about the amount that you give. It's not about equal, uh, equal amounts, but it's about equal sacrifice. And so every one of us, and I love the idea, and you, you guys have both mentioned it this morning, the idea of the tithe, which is 10% of your income, and, and putting that first and giving that to God, it levels the playing field for every one of us. It's not about our income, how big or small it is. It's about saying, you know what, I'm going to put God first in my finances, and I'm going to trust Him in that way. So when it comes to generosity in your life, whether it's uh, giving towards church or buying someone a meal or, or whatever it, it would be, what are some things that you've encountered there and what are some ways that some things that have helped you to overcome the barrier to be generous in your life (laughs) um i think it's more about the cause um some things are really easy to give to um but i was saying to ben before church this morning it actually took us till this morning we sat in the car park and did a strengthening home offering. Um, Because sometimes I struggle generous, to be generous. Uh, Debbie doesn't. Debbie sort of has an open house. Like, anyone knows Debbie? She's just a... She has an open house and, um, you know... uh, But I I struggle a little bit. I'm the budgeter. If it's not in the budget, it it doesn't fit, sort of. You know, the... (laughs) 
the budgets are there for a reason. Uh, so even even with the strengthening home, it wasn't in the budget. Um, so it took me, and I said to Debbie on the way to church this morning, I said, have you thought about it? And she said, have you thought about it? <laughs> anyway, we've done it. But, but so gen- generosity doesn't, even, doesn't come naturally. Yeah. I am with time, uh, but money is still something different. That's great. Yeah, well, I pretty much live with Oprah Winfrey. He's like, you have a car and you have a car. <laughs> so sometimes that's a little bit hard for me. Um, but something that Tim... <laughs> Something that Tim has um, taught me well is there is actually a joy in generosity. Um, So actually being generous is a way to get over that barrier because you can see um, if you buy someone a coffee, you're not going to get to grocery shopping the next day and be like, oh, I've got no money for groceries. It's like once you buy someone a coffee, it's awesome. You're like, yes, I bought something for someone. There's actually a joy in it. So, yeah. So good. Love Oprah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so I wanted to ask you this morning has there, is there, has there been a story of when you've seen God's faithfulness in your life Where you, you've trusted God And uh, you've done it anyway Even when it's been a battle and a struggle And then you've seen God's breakthrough And you've seen God's faithfulness come through In a way that seems miraculous um, To what you kind of expected Yeah, so last week Tim shared the story of um, the first year of him starting his business and me being on maternity leave. And that year was tough. Um, I could have let all my history start to affect um, me, thinking, okay, this is the beginning of what I know money to be. But we did stay faithful in that year. And um, he shared last week that we had a quite large credit card debt um, but, yeah, we continue to give, and literally a year later, we um, we got some unexpected payments that paid that debt off to almost the $100 mark, and his business grew. So, yeah. Incredible. I love that. Come on, you can clap. That's fantastic. So good. Yeah, I guess for us, it was probably 10 or 11 years ago, um, when I was on staff here as the business manager, I also still had a business going, and... and I will own it. I made some really bad decisions involving my business um, that were probably going back even 14 years ago. Um, But what it meant was that we got behind $10,000 in our mortgage. And we'd been behind $10,000 for quite some time. And then suddenly our lender sent me a letter, uh, sent us a letter. I I created the problem, but but it was us that got out of it. But, um, yeah, and we received this letter and um, it basically gave us one week to pay the $10,000 or they were going to take our house from us. And at the time, the the pastor here, I talked to him about it and he said, you're going to need to borrow that money from your parents if they've got it, or Debbie's parents, which both of them would have had it. Both of them would have gladly loaned it to them. And I actually said to him, no, I really believe that it's time um, to stand firm. And, and I'd manipulated money all around for the last previous years of our married life um, to get us out of situations, whether it be get a credit card or whatever. I mean, there are probably people here who've had a crack at that sort of thing as well. And, and I just decided that this time, no... Um, if I lose my house next Monday, I actually felt really at peace about it. I thought, you know, if my house is gone next Monday, I believe it's in God's will because 
well, that, I'm, try, I'm going to trust you, God. So, and every day I came to work here and uh, John said to me, have you spoken to your parents yet? And I said, no, I haven't. And I said, I'm not going to. I said, I, I just felt, it was the most at peace I ever felt in my whole life about something. And on the Sunday at church, we had a baptismal service down at the Church of Christ Church near Maccas. And um, someone came up to Debbie and I after church. A couple came up to us and said, uh, we want to loan you some money. Uh, how much do you need to borrow? And <laughs> even today, that, that blows me away uh, about God's goodness and, and those people as well, their faithfulness, you know. And I, I just think, you know, they're, they're loaning money to someone who obviously hasn't got a clue. Um, and, the, you know, there came, nothing came with that. When you have it, you give it back. Yeah. It wasn't, no, nothing. But it, it showed me what, a, what an amazing God we have. And since that moment, since that moment, I actually still don't care if I lose my house tomorrow. I couldn't care less because I believe that, um, that God is in charge. Yeah. And that, that to me, that 11 or so years ago, was just an amazing lesson in, in learning to stand firm and, and trust a God who's never going to let us down. So good. What a great story, hey? Fantastic. I love that. And finally this morning, I just want to wrap up the, the, these two questions together. When it comes to being a good steward and being a good saver and also being generous, how have you learned to balance that? And, and what advice would you give for us to, to taking those steps of faith to be generous in our own lives as well? Yeah, so again, still something I'm working through um, because of the way that I viewed money. I'm still working through that and I still sometimes let financial decisions stress me out. Anyone who knows me well knows I'm the worst decision maker in the world. Tim's never renovating with me ever again. Um, but one thing that I have really learned a lot better is to actually trust God with my finances. So just trust. And um, there's so many... and. And when you trust God, that doesn't mean that everything's going to be sunshine and, and butterflies. Like, there will still be seasons. There'll be seasons of lack. There'll be seasons of abundance. There'll be different seasons. But if you just trust God through all of those seasons, he will provide whatever you need. He will, everything you need. Like, even in the seasons of lack, the things that you need will be provided if you trust God. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, there's some, some great scriptures, but I... One of my favourites is from early in Genesis, and it's when Abram is God said to him, um, "I want you to pack up and move." And he took his nephew with him, Lot, and they they got to a place on a hill after they they like he moved firstly without even questioning God, he just did it because God said it, and and they got to this place on a hill, and the land wasn't really big enough for both him and Lot because they all had had. Um, animals and families and 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 Abram said to Lot he said if you choose to go to the right I'll go to the left if you choose to go to the left I'll go to the right and Lot looked around and he looked down towards the Jordan where Sodom and Gomorrah were and that was all nice and green and, and beautiful lush area he said I'll take that and you know a bit later on in, in a, a chapter or two later 
Abram had to actually go in and rescue Lot from, from Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, what, what Lot did wrong was, and what Abram did right was, Lot looked out of what he had, what he could see. Abram looked out of what he trusted God in. And as far as giving is concerned, generosity, don't look at what you've got. If, if the Lord puts something on your heart to give, give it. Don't second-guess God. Have a look around when you go outside and look up in the sky. You know, he's the creator. You know, he, he can do anything you want. And I think Ali said it before, it's about a heart. It's about our heart. It's not, what Ben said, not about how much. It's your heart, you know, and the, the place it comes from. Fantastic. Would you give these guys a huge round of applause? Thank you so much, Alan Al. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I hope you've been blessed with this book, God, Money and Me, and we're going to watch part three in that series right now. So have a look to the screen. excited because we're in part three of our God, Money and Me curriculum. And already, if you've been a part, you will understand that we've seen that money really has been poorly addressed within the church world. I think it's because all we hear is encouragement to give more and more away. Uh, I'll never forget the day I was teaching in our church and I said, do you realize that God never taught to give it all away? I think it was one of the most widely applauded messages I ever gave. But the truth is, we are often encouraged just to keep being more generous. Or within the church world, money operates within this uncomfortable sense of silence. But money, whether we like it or not, has a global echo. That's the reason I wrote the book, because for Marie and I, we hadn't been taught a true understanding of the components needed to create a financial future. We never really understood that God taught us that our responsibility was to have an echo that would go generations. In fact, numbers of years ago when I began teaching on money, uh, we had an ad in the paper and I just thought, I'm going to be bold. We're just going to teach about money and God's answers to our material world. Had a couple come along. In fact, just recently, they said, you realize the first time we came, which was more than 20 years ago, the first time they had come to our services was when we read the ad about you speaking on money. And of course, you're here because you believe that you want to understand more about it. Uh, my journey was so significantly far from center. In other words, I hadn't experienced financial freedom. I had the wonder of being generous and I love to give. And Marie and I were absolutely committed but as we've seen, and I want in every part of this curriculum to again revisit 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8, where Paul writes and he says, God is able to make all grace abound towards you. And really, the first thing in that equation is none of us can say, well, it's not going to work for me. No, God is able to make all grace, not just grace for salvation, not just grace in the times where you are outside of your own ability to control what's going on. He's got a grace for when we suffer loss. He has a grace for every part of our lives. Even our gifts have a grace on them. But Paul was talking specifically about our financial world. 
he says God is able, get it again, to make all grace abound towards you, that you having all sufficiency, just park there for a moment. That word sufficiency, this is the original, that you would live in a perfect state, not having to need any extra aid or support. When I began to read that and dig into it, I thought, so that means that God's purpose for every Christian is to live when it comes to material things under his grace, where I don't need extras to cause the sufficiency I need. It doesn't stop there, by the way. Not only my sufficiency, but an abundance for every good work. In other words, I wouldn't need to go to work for money. That's exactly what I believe Paul was writing, that I wouldn't need to have something happen that was unexpected. No, that actually my material world would be so enriched that actually the decision to work would be based on the purpose of God, not on me gaining money. If that is true, and I challenge you, go back to the original and have a look, a perfect state of living where I don't need any aid or support. You, you look at that, and I know my life wasn't even close to it. Even now, I'm on this pathway to it. But can you imagine if we lived believing that and God was able to shape the generations because of our revelation. Uh, You may have heard this phrase, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. Well, that's very true. Here's God's word on it. Actually, it does. It grows on generational trees. In other words, if we get God's insights and God's pathway correct and the right components working together, and we commit generationally, to what God is saying, you know, our children's children will not make any major decisions based on money. It will all be based on the purposes of God. And really today is where we begin the first of four components or ingredients that are needed to create a financial freedom, to have a generational echo that makes a difference. We've looked at money's myths. We've looked at money's spirit. Today, I want to talk about money's test, and I think it's going to get a little quiet at times, but I want you to think about what God's word says. Come on, let's pray. Father, we need you to speak to us today. We realize that money issues are major in our human existence, but God, you have promised that we could be fruitful and multiply. We could take dominion. You've promised that, God, we could know all sufficiency In all things, not only that, that we would live always having enough for every good work, not just some of them, but every good work. We need your help in Jesus' name. I believe that second to sin, our unsurrendered money or material possessions, the enemy uses as a major weapon to create restriction in our lives, distraction to the purposes of God, and the blocking of the release of generations. You know, his attack has always been to gain the position of God's sovereignty, lordship over who we are. And right now there's a battle going on. Every day there's a battle where the enemy is vying for the place of lordship. And so when there are lots of discussions today around the place about, you know, God's word, it's kind of not relevant for today, that, you know, all people want to do is find freedom, but you know, we don't need religious ways. I agree with no religious ways, 
But I do also say that God's laws, his principles work. In fact, when you come to lordship and even the thought of God getting the first, often people say, well, it's Old Testament law and, you know, I give anyway and I don't want to be locked into that. I today want to really challenge this whole concept. It's so easy to accept that God has promises for us and God's blessings are all through his word. It's another thing to embrace the pathway to it. I think many of us nod our heads saying, God, we want that. In fact, we might have promises all around the house that we've put there. But did you realize that every promise has a pathway? Some of them accomplished by Christ. Some of them we need to accomplish, most of them by what God has done and what we need to do. I want to talk about sovereignty in our material world. And really, it begins with the understanding of tithing. And I know it's a hot potato both inside and outside the church. But tithing, when you fully understand it, is actually about resetting sovereignty. When money comes your way, material blessings come your way. The Bible teaches that we place God's sovereignty over our material world when he gets the first. And we're going to see how those decisions decide our future. I was less than five when my parents taught me that God's way was to when I received increase to tithe. So when I got pocket money, I always put the first tenth aside. You know, I didn't understand what I understand today. And unfortunately for many of us, we don't have a real understanding. We just know we should do it. But when you understand that the first right through scripture gains authority and actually has the rights over the rest, it becomes something of supreme importance. It was the first lamb that had to be slain. Come on, the first Adam fell. And so there was, again, the second Adam being the first answer being Christ. The first has always got the authority. We're going to go to Proverbs 3 and verse 9, and I really want to unpack it. This is what the Bible says. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first or the first fruits of all of your increase. To do that will mean that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. The word honor is to literally live in obedience for the results to come that were promised. Obedience is needed. Uh, tithing really simply has never really, I think, been fully addressed. And so often we've got all kinds of thoughts coming at us and we don't understand how God sets it up. Billy Graham, uh, what a champion. And to be in the generations that he was around and was a great blessing and uh, did so much. But even Billy said this, that one of the greatest sins that he saw in the church today is that we were robbing God of what rightfully belonged to him. In fact, he said, if we don't tithe, we're not giving to God what is his and we then carry a debt. And it's only after we've given the first tenth can we actually make an offering. I think most of us may be aware, maybe for some of us we wouldn't be aware. Malachi chapter 3 is the, a profound chapter around which God speaks to us. And, and the wonder of God's word is huge. Let me read it to you. And I want you to note the context rather than just the words. Verses 6 to 10 
This is what the Bible says. For I am the Lord, God speaking. I do not change. That's interesting, isn't it? Well, it's an Old Testament law. You just got to do it. No, God puts himself in the first person. I am the Lord. I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your father, you have gone away from my ordinances. Note that. Not Old Testament laws. Ordinances. And have not kept to them. Then he says, return to me. Not do what I tell you to do. Return to me and I will be released to return to you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way shall we return? It's an amazing thing that God puts the tone and the tense in the first person. It's kind of like, I'm the Lord. I don't change. When somebody argues that tithing is just Old Testament, so therefore it's not relevant today, you go, yeah, you got that right. It is Old Testament. It was brought up in the law, but actually it existed before the law. We'll come to discover it's after the law. And actually God puts it in that first person tense. I change not. Every one of those words crafted by the Holy Spirit to give us insight. I never change. Then he says, will a man rob God? Not rob from God, but rob God. Yet you have robbed me. In what way have we robbed you? We say in tithing and in giving of offerings. Then it goes on and you are cursed with a curse. But then he says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And I want you to try me, test me, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to contain it. God here in Malachi 3 actually talks about two things. He talks about the tithe, which is his. It belongs to him. It's holy. The thing is, whatever is holy is not an addition. It's God. You don't have holy as a subset. It's God. And God separates the tithe and the offerings. And he says, you got a problem with that first tenth. And you think by giving the first tenth, you're sowing seed. Did you realize that the tithe is never seed? It's actually the test that God uses to see if we're going to put him sovereign over the rest. And that first tenth was required in the Old Testament law. But again, right through scripture, it's established. Jesus took time in Matthew to actually say it was there as well. Matthew 23, 23 says this, is that even the religious Pharisees, they were tithing. But he says, this you ought to have done, but not give in and allow the other parts of justice and mercy. You live in the law, but you need to add a spirit with it. You know, years ago when people say, well, it's not in the New Testament, I go, Matthew 23, 23 says that Jesus taught that we ought to have done. Did you realize that the word ought in the original is the same word that Jesus uses actually for Nicodemus? who comes to Jesus by night, he's a religious studier. And he says, what do I need to do to get into the kingdom of heaven? He said, you must be born again. The word must, which we have no problem with, because we understand Jesus saying you have to be born again to have eternal salvation, is the same Greek word as the word in Matthew 23, 23, that Jesus said to the Pharisees that you ought to have done that. In other words, it's kind of like, There's no choice, guys. This is holy. You see, 
we don't pay our tithe, we actually realize when you understand tithing that we are returning what belongs to God. I don't actually believe today that we are accursed if we don't do it. I believe Jesus dealt with the curses at Calvary. What I have come to discover is that actually is a test. And if we pass the test, God is then able to bless the rest. That's why he says, test me with that. Try me with that. The only place in scripture that we get to try him with that. If we decide not to do it, mammon steps in and gains that sovereignty and place. As I said, holy is who God is. And really, God's not seeking money. It's like a lot of churches are trying to grab money, but God is not seeking money. He's seeking lordship. If you go to Haggai, I think it's Haggai chapter 2 and verse 8, it says this, that the silver is mine. This is God speaking. And the gold is mine, says God. And tithing is so many things that we don't understand. But I want to encourage you to talk about this. You know, when people say, well, it's Old Testament law. As I said, it's not relevant. Yes, it was in the law. But it was before the law, and Jesus says, you must do this. It's an ordinance that is a test to see who becomes sovereign over your material world. A couple of things, which again, I know it's getting quiet. Well, it may be getting quiet, but did you know that the tithe is (laughs) non-negotiable? It's actually, if you understand the Bible, to be given in the first setting. You don't pay your tithe after you've paid for everything else. You actually put it aside as first as an act of honor. It's holy. It doesn't actually mix with the rest. It relates to lordship. It's an ordinance before it is ever a law. It establishes divine release once we return it. It's holy. It's not even seed. You know, one of the great authors, Christian authors is A.W. Tozer. I love the way that he writes about this. He says this, I don't think I exaggerate when I say that some of us put our offering in the plate with a kind of triumphant bounce as much as to say, there, God, you'll feel better now. (laughs) I'm obliged, he says, to tell you that God does not need anything that we have. He does not need a dime of our money. It is your own spiritual warfare at stake in such matters as these. You have the right to keep it all to yourself if you wish. But ultimately, rust and decay will ultimately ruin it. Again, for me, it was never a big issue. And I don't say that triumphantly, but my parents taught me the first tenth always belongs to God. Uh, I'm well past the middle part of my life now. And I look back, I can never, ever ever remember ever receiving an increase where I didn't give God the first tenth. And I'm thankful to God. And I know that that's brought God's blessing in so many ways. Whenever I received a salary, people say, well, you know, how do you work out your tithe? Well, when you receive increase your salary, the first tenth goes to God. You receive an inheritance or a gift. Maybe you buy something for something for an amount and then you sell it for more. The increase you need to honor God with every part of it, maybe a house. You could buy a house, I don't know, for whatever amount, spend some money renovating, but then you make hundreds of thousands. That is increase. That is where God says, soon as fresh money touches your hand, the first tenth belongs to him. We've seen it in Proverbs 3 and verse 9 that we are to honor the Lord with 
our possessions. We're the first fruits, not the second, of all of our increase. And our increase, as I'm saying, is the test that determines the first component of our financial authority that can release generations ahead of us. It's not about anything less than bringing honor to God and releasing His authority over the 90. Tithing, or as I call it, stewarding. Because it's not like mine to give is where I take what has been presented by God and I steward it back to Him. It's the first component of creating a financial future. It's a big area and it's worth a lot of talking about because if it's true that second to sin, our unsurrendered possessions have more determining factor about our future and that the enemy is actively trying to gain lordship and sovereignty, then we need to go God's way. And the moment you begin to do that, you may say, yeah, but Paul, I've been tithing for a long time, but I still don't feel like I've got a pathway to financial freedom. Remember, this is the first ingredient of four. I've lived it my life, but I realized it wasn't enough. However, like anything, it's a very necessary ingredient. As we honor God, we release God to honor us. The enemy doesn't want us to live with his blessing over our material world. I trust it's been a blessing. Come on, let's continue to discover what God has and the keys to creating a financial future. Wow, what a great uh, session that was today. And I just, th- I just love how it's just full of biblical truth. And I wanted to read a passage over you this morning. It's a, it's a prayer of praise that King David um, spoke about. And it was just after he'd gathered resources to build the temple where he wanted to set up this temple to be built and then hand over to his son Solomon. And it's a great picture to me of uh, setting, us, setting up for the generations to come. And he gathers all of these resources together and then gathers the people together and then he prays this prayer of praise over them. I think it's fitting this morning when we've together brought our faith in, into this house together to strengthen home and to be able to invest in this way over this month of June. I want to do this prayer over you and then I want to pray for you this morning. It says this, David, David's speaking and David praising God. He says, O oh Lord, the God of our ancestors Israel, May you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on the earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand. And at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. Oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you. And we give only what, we have fir- what you have first given us. We are here for only a moment. Visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow, gone so soon without a trace. O Lord our God, 
Even this material we have gathered to build a temple, to honor your holy name, it comes from you. It all belongs to you. I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity there. You know I have done all this with good motives, and I have watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyously. O Lord, the God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Make your people always want to obey you. See to it that their love for you never changes. And Lord, I pray this prayer over us this morning, that our love for you would never change. When it comes to money, it's not about material wealth or resources. Lord, it's about honoring you first in our lives. And Lord, this morning, we make sure that we place you at the highest place in our life, Jesus, above our cares and concerns, above our finances and our resources and our possessions. Jesus, you take the ultimate authority in our life. And this morning, I pray for your blessing and your favor to be upon your people, Lord Jesus, as we've sowed and as we've invested into your house, Lord God, as we've trusted your faithfulness and your word, Lord Jesus, we believe it to be true. And we ask for your blessing and favor to be poured out upon us, that we can't even contain the increase, that you'd bless your people to be a blessing to others. And Lord Jesus, we pray that this house would be a house of salvation, Lord God, a house of hope, a house where people can come and experience the love of Jesus Christ. As we give and as we sow, we thank you that you are the God of all. You are Lord of all and Lord of our lives. And we honor you this day with all that we have. With all of our heart, we put you at the highest place this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.